Helmed by comedy legends the Fairley Brothers as their sophomore outing, the 1996 sports comedy Kingpin, starring Woody Harrelson and Randy Quaid, Kingpin should have been a strike, but unfortunately, it turned into somewhat of a split. Coming off the massive success of their first film, Dumb and Dumber, two years prior, the Fairley Brothers were on the lookout for their next project. Still young in the game, and with no specific idea of how to follow up their comedy classic, the script for Kingpin kind of just fell into their laps. Much like the rundown old bowling alley in your hometown, this script written by Mort Nathan and Barry Fenero had apparently been around for a while, like a bowling ball gathering dust on the shelf of your garage. But if you dust that thing off, it can still knock them dead. And the Fairleys found the script to be extremely hilarious. They did a small rewrite on the script, but decided to make Kingpin for their second frame. The Fairleys found it to be a struggle to get support behind them, even though they had just had a gigantic hit, many still doubted whether they could deliver again, and this time without the help of Jim Carrey. Casting the two leads was key, and at one point, Michael Keaton was attached to play Roy, and Chris Farley expressed interest in playing Ishmael, but Woody Harrelson and Randy Quaid eventually landed the roles. When Kingpin rolled into theaters in the summer of 1996, the Fairleys thought they had another strike on their hands and were headed for a turkey, but their throw was a bit off target. Kingpin only grossed around $32 million worldwide on a $25 million budget, making it a certified box office failure, and its critical feedback was not much better. What the Fairleys thought was a strike turned out to be a gutter ball. The Fairleys were devastated by the movie's failure, blaming competition with the 96 Summer Olympics. They feared their careers might already be over early in the game, but the film did very well after it was released on home video, and in the years since, it gained a cult following, many citing Kingpin as one of the Fairleys' pound-for-pound funniest films. And it also helped that their follow-up to Kingpin was There's Something About Mary. That just goes to show you, it's okay if you miss a couple pins on your first throw because every frame comes with two shots. Pick up that spare and keep on playing. So dust off your zany button-downs, lace up your funky-looking shoes that never seem to quite fit right, and toe the line with us as today we ask the question, Kingpin, what's it about? I'm Ricardo Boydias. I'm Seth Crow. I'm Megan Branham. And this is the What's About Film Podcast, the show where we try to glean the meaning of it all through the media we consume, holding a mirror to ourselves, seeing how it reflects in our own lives. Seth and Megan, how are we doing today? What's up? What's up? (laughs) We're going back to the 90s with all the slang. Tubular. (laughs) Uh, So I heard you two just got back from a work trip. Are you guys tired? I'm very tired. I'm sorry. I slept plenty last night, but it was just, it was two days. I, I don't know. I'm just not used to that much, like, stimulation for 48 straight hours. Oh. But it was really fun. It was really fun. I just need, my brain needs, like, a second alone to kind of, you know. Well, once we get celebrate. off this this podcast, you can have as much alone time as you can. No. <laughs> no, I had some. I got a good night's sleep, and I just kind of fell it out this morning. So I'm, I'm okay. I'm just a little sleepy. That's okay. Good. How about you? Yeah, I'm tired, too. Uh, I, I was... I was grumpy yesterday morning because of all the people. There was so many people and I got four hours of sleep and I was fine the rest of the day. But in the morning I was like, I am not having this social interaction. <laughs> I was like, this is too much. But you, you reached the end of your social battery. Yeah, yeah. But it was a good time. You know, uh, mm-hmm. we we went on a really long hike yesterday that was quite treacherous it was it was 
the most treacherous hike I've ever been on. I think. What do you it mean? Was the second most treacherous hike I've ever been on. The first being like the steepest mountain in Italy. Oh. So Ooh. this was this was still pretty treacherous. Brag. What do you guys mean by treacherous? <laughs> it was just well, I wasn't wearing shoes for it. I don't. I you really weren't like wearing shoes. Well, I was wearing shoes, but not the right shoes. I like oh. hiking, but I'm not like a hiker. Um, and I guess I do now that I'm thinking about it. I do have hiking boots, but I didn't think to bring them. I was like, we'll just go on nice little walks. Um, and that wasn't what happened. So I was wearing like Adidas sneakers and mm. just I, I was slipping all over the place. But there were lots of there was some bouldering. <laughs> I, I don't know if that's what it's called when you have to climb boulders, but that's what I'm saying. Um, well, Adidas stands for all day I dream about slopes. Stones. 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 <laughs> uh, Stones. And there was a, a rope at one point to like get down a very deep, slippy rock. You mm. had to hang on to a rope and like climb down. It was just, it was super fun. It was very, very pretty. But it was nice. a lot. Yeah. Yeah. We had a dog with us and then we had... there. There was like a straight up, like not, not, it was a ladder. It wasn't stairs. It was a ladder that had wider steps and they had to carry the dog up like straight up a hundred feet, which I was like, this is stupid. The view was really beautiful. Um, There was a moment when everybody was like, we can either, um, like a couple of people were kind of, thank God, looking at the maps and figuring out where else we could go. They were like, we can either finish the hike, which was, we were less than halfway through at that point, And we'd been hiking for like an hour and a half. Oh God. Um, and, or we can like turn off here and go down the road, get to our cars and go to a swimming hole. And I was like, well, obviously swimming hole. I don't know why anybody would, but for a minute it looked like me and one other friend were the only people who were going to go swimming. And then everybody kind of, I was going to say, that's the right well, the dog. Well, I think the dog couldn't go the down. The dog made the really choice. Out. The dog. Well, no kidding. The dog was like, like I'm not going to let you carry me down this ladder again. Like, yeah, which is fair. Who, who, who planned this hike? And then who is like, let's bring the dog. <laughs> there's drama all around it. There's drama all around okay. the dog. There's no, there's some, there's some dog drama. Everything's fine. I, I have since heard that everything's fine. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the dog was <laughs> the dog was a very welcome addition, um, and I I also don't know that the person who planned the hike and brought the dog knew exactly how like difficult mm-hmm. the hike was. I knew they they hike all the time, so I think they knew it was like a little tricky. But I don't think they anticipated it being like. But everyone made it. Everyone was fine. Yeah, the dog was happy, and the dog just decided that we were not going back the other way. The dog was like, "Nope, <laughs> we're going swimming." I said it. I said it there and I'll say it again. It was crazy to me that in the, there was a point where everyone took a vote, like team water, like go to the swimming hole, like drive to the swimming hole or team hike, which to me is like team lovely day, like feet in the water, reading on the, on the shore or team really, really hard walk in like 90 degree weather up and down boulders. I was, it shocked me that anybody. Team, team nice swim or team rigorous hike? Team horrible walk. I don't understand. Uh, I don't know. That's all. It's a tough decision. <laughs> you guys are, you are friends. You guys work with some psychos. Well, here's the deal. Uh, no, nope. They just hike to like hike, you know, that's not how I hike. I was like making the opposite choice of what everybody else was making just to see if other people would jump on board. 
Like not, oh my not God, Seth, you are an agent of chaos. Yeah, not, like, and so like, I would always like pick one thing and then once another person. Yeah. You were flipping. Yeah. Flip. Like and then once some people like glommed on, I would actually make the choice I wanted to make <laughs> because nobody was, <laughs> nobody was making any choices. Like it was just like. Kevin was. Yeah. One, yeah. Kevin was. I, I do this thing sometimes. I think it's really funny. People get really mad about it some, when they notice what I'm doing. Uh, I call I call as I do this character sometimes called the chameleon, where I will literally just agree with whatever the last person what they said said. I would just like mirror them, <laughs> like yeah. in a, in any kind of like discussion. They'd be like, "Oh, we should do this." I'd be like, "You're right. You know what? That's actually a pretty good idea." And then someone else would make a point, I'd be like, "That's actually a really good point." I just would keep with basically what Seth was doing. <laughs> it's so much fun, but, but it gets people so mad. <laughs> yeah, I just I was so quiet during the vote, but I knew the whole time I was I was gonna go. I was just quietly waiting for everybody to. Whether or not y'all going on the hike, I'm going swimming. <laughs> I'm going to the water. Mm-hmm. I think there was also the promise of when I I initially was just gonna sit in the cabin and read my little book, and then everybody was going, so I was like, okay, yeah, if everyone's going, I'll go. And I was promised that I could kind of like find a nice little rock near a creek and read, and they would loop back around for me. And then about 15 minutes into the hike, I was like, they're not looping back around for me. I have to do this. Like if I stop, no one's coming back for you me because it's a be, long. Yep. So um, I it'll do feel a, a little bit the tricked. Will this vibe. Yep. I did feel a little bit duped, but I know it wasn't purposeful. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, Megan. They're all jerks, okay. especially Seth. No, I love everybody. I just, you know, I don't hike to prove anything. That's true. I just want to go on a nice walk. I don't need to prove anything to the woods. <laughs> yeah, the woods are very judgy. <laughs> you know what they don't? You know what they don't have in the woods? Bowling alleys. Bowling alleys. <laughs> That's nice. true. Nailed it, Seth. <laughs> so speaking of which, yes, today we're not here to talk about Seth and Megan's business retreat. <laughs> I don't know what else to call it. Work, work outing. I don't know. Anniversary occasion. Anniversary occasion. We're not talking about that. We're here to talk about uh, Kingpin, the 96 sports comedy by the Fairley Brothers. Uh, Seth, this was your choice. Kingpin was your decision. Why? Why? Uh, I So I have no history with this movie. Okay. Uh, I just have heard about this movie since I was a kid and mm-hmm. uh, I'd never seen it. And so like it popped up on my radar somehow this, this past week. And I was like, I, I think I was like flipping through streaming services or whatever. And I saw it and I was like, you know, I've never watched Kingpin and I've heard that it's, that it's a classic comedy. So I was like, and I, I felt like it would be a good change of speed from the mm. uh the where we've been so uh, i was like let's let's watch it and i'm sure megan loved it <laughs> <laughs> well we'll get megan we'll get what megan thinks in a second but since you inflicted this on us what did you think of it uh i, I thought it was i thought it was funny uh, i like it's it's definitely dated uh mm. but i appreciated that it was edgy and like uh mm. i appreciated that you know uh, it it definitely got me. Like there were some there were some jokes. Like it, you know, a lot of it was like not funny, uh, just like too much, you know. Uh, mm-hmm. But sometimes it would it would get me. Like that sheep joke cracked my shit up. I thought that was hysterical. 
<laughs> okay. That's the one. The cheap joke got me. There was there were several there were several jokes that 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 slapped like, uh, just like and you know, uh, yeah, it definitely had a dark edge. Like this movie has a dark mm-hmm. edge, and I appreciate that in comedy. Um, okay. So I I appreciated that it didn't really hold any punches, but some of the jokes were just bad. You know, like. But I don't think they were bad for the time. Does that make sense? Like for the time period, like that comedy style was in style. So like it makes sense why they would just like hit every single low hanging fruit because uh, because that was what was going on. But mm. but, you know, now it's like, oh, this this same sex joke over and over again is like, OK, we've all seen this. Um, mm. But. I will say the soundtrack for this movie slaps. It is really good. It is really good. So, yeah. And I think the message, which we'll get to, is pretty good, too. Okay. Well, thank you for sharing, Seth. Megan, so Seth alluded to what he thinks you think. What do you actually think? Um, yeah. <laughs> it just was... I, I had never seen this movie before. I think I'd like really vaguely heard of it. I, I feel like either it was on Comedy Central a lot when I was growing up or movies like it were. So I like, there were some parts where I was like, I swear I caught that on TV one time. Um, but it, I don't think I laugh. <laughs> Not once? I really don't think so. Maybe I chuckled. I, and I, again, I think that's Seth. I think you're very right. I think um, it has a darker edge. It's just, it's a certain brand of comedy that's just never been my my bag. Um, like you mentioned, something about Mary. I never. I don't think I laughed during that movie. It's just not my. It doesn't get me. So I didn't. What about Dumb and Dumber? Mm, nothing. There are a couple jokes in Dumb and Dumber. There's there's one that I used to quote all the time. Like that, I I did laugh at Dumb and Dumber. Okay. A couple of times. Um, I don't know. Just like um, crude humor doesn't really mm-hmm. get me. Um, is that noise? I have this bowling sound this bowling sound effect that I've queued up on my phone. Oh. That I'm trying to punctuate things with. <laughs> that'll, that'll go really well. But I well. just got an ad. You, you hit an ad. <laughs> oh, that makes it even funnier. <laughs> Sorry. Go ahead. No, it's okay. Um, yeah, it's just not, it's not, it wasn't for me. Um, I don't really like comedies from this era anyway. (gasps) None Um, of them? I I haven't seen all of them. What about the mask? Say that for sure. I haven't seen that in years, so I don't, I don't know. It holds up. Um, uh, yeah, I like Jim Carrey. I think also I don't have any, like, there's no nostalgia in it for me. There's Mm. no, like, charm in, like, knowing or liking the actors. Like, Woody Harrelson I like, but not enough for it to be like, oh, like, um, when I'm watching Dumb and Dumber, I like those actors. So Mm. at least there's, even if I'm not, like, laughing out loud, I'm like, well, these people are a joy to watch. Um, I found no joy. (laughs) That's fair. I knew you'd love it. <laughs> and some of the jokes did make me, yeah, that made me uncomfortable. Like gross. the whole, for a second, I thought they were playing um, him hitting her off as a joke, and I was like, uh oh. Um, and they didn't really, so that's okay. But um, yeah, a lot of a lot of it made me a little uncomfy. It didn't age super well, and I didn't. Yeah. Anyway, 
Um, <laughs> that's fine thank you for sharing megan yeah it's some genre sometimes it's, it's harder thing. on the show to share when you don't like something when you do like something it's just not for me that's fair that. that's fair i'm in the middle of you guys um i definitely didn't love it um this is also my first time seeing it as well um i didn't love it uh i definitely agree that it's pretty dated and some and some of its some of its humor um there were some moments that did make me audibly laugh. Um, one of the ones for me was like the uh, the coffee part. <laughs> the baby. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Well, so yeah, I knew he was stealing the bottle from the baby as soon as I saw no, the baby. No, when he spilled I mean, the coffee on the baby. Yeah. That's <laughs> to, like hysterical. then steal the bottle. Oh, okay. I chuggled that at was that. So yeah. Funny. Okay. That was kind of funny. And then, and then he throws the coffee in the dude's face, and that was a fake out. And then he threw actual really <laughs> hot coffee in his face that second time. He's like, I don't know why, but that made me laugh because it was just like an unexpected like d- double up on the coffee in the face thing. And the second one was just way more unexpected than the first. Um, I don't know. There are some moments. That I, I think for me, the big, the biggest thing that I had that was like holding the movie back for me was like a lot of the Ishmael stuff. Yeah, it doesn't. It, I could. I bought everything except the Ishmael stuff. And so, and then that's like a large portion of the movie. Um, and so a lot of that didn't work. I think a lot of the, a lot, a lot of the, the Roy stuff worked better. Um, overall, I thought it was fine. It's definitely not the worst movie Seth's made us watch on this podcast. <laughs> you were, oh, Megan, if you were here during the, the Hollywood Boulevard oh, days. Yeah. That was an accident though. I know it was an accident, but still. <laughs> <laughs> That's gonna go down in history as my least favorite episode ever. <laughs> um, but this is this was okay. It definitely you can definitely like you said you can see the age on it. It's it's thirty years old almost at this point, um, and you can definitely see that age on it. But there are some moments that are fun. I do love a good sports comedy. It reminded me a lot of like Happy Gilmore, you know that kind of that kind of style of stuff. Um, but obviously, Happy Gilmore's much funnier <laughs> I, I would say happy gilmore is a much better constructed movie this one i think is a little bit uh aimless at times yeah. uh like it's way longer than it has to be it's almost two hours yeah, it's long. crazy how long is it does yeah, not have really to be long. that long yeah um so things like that but like overall there's definitely something i got out of this movie um and we'll obviously we'll talk about that when we get to our theme gleans but no it was fine like i said it was fine I've never seen I it. Need to no, be I have known that I'm not like a. I'm not advocating over here that this movie is amazing. We never said you were. <laughs> I just I can appreciate dark comedy. I can appreciate edgy comedy. You know, mm-hmm. so I can too when it's funny. Um... <laughs> oh, 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 oh my god! <laughs> I think that okay. So like that sheep joke, Megan. That sheep joke is hilarious. That like. Because I was expecting some, like, it got me. It was an unexpected, very unexpected joke. Did you think it was going to be a gay joke? Yeah, I thought it was going to be a gay joke. They set it up like it's going to be a gay joke, and then there's a sheep. And so, like, that's good. Like, that's really funny. Uh, And then, like... They hit the gay joke later. Yeah, I guess. What, they do? There's a... Yeah. When, uh, When Roy, like... Imagines. Oh yeah, that, yeah, uh, yeah. That one yeah. guy offers him a million dollars to have sex with with Ishmael. That's right. There is a. Okay, 
Um, I know this isn't what, how do I put this? There, were, there was a lot of, the, the basis of the movie was, um, and I know this was the comedy brand of the time and it's since been, um, you know, criticized for what I'm about to say, but a lot of it was just like making fun of things that are like, like the Amish community and like people with prosthetic limbs. And I know that that's like a downer of a thing to say, like, that's not the point of the movie, but it is for me. I just don't think those things are that funny to like base it on that. And I, I know I'm looking at it with the, I, I again, don't have any nostalgic um, affection for these movies. I don't have any, um, I don't know. It's just hard for me to be like, aha, his hand is rubber. <laughs> like I don't, mm. or like, haha, he's Amish. Or like, I just don't think, I think it's lazy and I think it's kind of mean. Um, I don't like mean comedy. And mm. uh, I feel like there was hints of that. I also like, I don't love the the fight between the girl and I don't, the boob hitting. It's just is so boring to me. Mm. I agree. I think those things are boring. Yeah. Yeah, those for me, like any times I did laugh, it was never like it was never the prosthetic humor. It was never yeah. it was never the the Amish humor. Again, that's part of the movie, like is the part that didn't work for me at all. When I laughed, it was when Roy was being just this surly asshole. Yeah. And that's for me when the movie is funny. It's Woody Harrelson being this really just like cantankerous, loathsome, yeah. sad dude. And just doing just really, really, and getting what he deserves for, ups, for yeah, being what, for being exactly, that. getting get, doing upsetting things because he's hurt, and then yeah, and then things those things coming back at him. I thought those moments were funny to me, yeah. And Bill Murray, I thought was funny. It was honestly um, that was the cringiest thing for me in this whole movie. Yeah, like, yeah. Well, I think I think looking back on it, it is really unsettling. Yeah. With with. Uh, his sexual like, allegations yes. that have come With out the allegations recently. against him, yeah. So it's like looking looking at that character and being like, "Ooh, like yeah. this is actually who you are." Okay, uh, and and they fairly said that he he ad libbed almost like a hundred percent of everything he did in that movie. It's too easy. It was too easy for him to play that character. I think you know there was like one moment that I laughed at and that I was like after the fact I was like actually maybe I shouldn't laugh at that. It was when he's in the diner in the beginning of the movie and he looks back at an extra behind him yeah. and he says and he waves he goes hi and one of the extras says hi he goes no not you and he looks at the other yeah. one and he goes hi yeah. and that's like yeah. weird like if I was an extra that would be, feel very uncomfortable. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. I mean Bill for, and everything I've heard about Bill Murray is he kind of thinks he's this demigod. You know, that mm. moves through the world. And so, like, the way he plays his character is kind of that way, mm-hmm. you know. And then, and then, like, I don't know if you heard some of his last lines that he kind of ad-libs that they, like. I'm hurt. a god. I'm above the law. I can do anything I yeah. want. That, yeah. Those, yeah, yeah, those lines. I'm rich enough yeah. that I can do anything. Yeah. Which, it's like, yeah, it's, it's a bad look now. Like, this far mm-hmm. is a bad look for him. Yeah. Also, I just remember the part of Dumb and Dumber that I laughed really hard at, and I think about all the time. It's when he throws the salt shaker over his shoulder. Uh, it's, uh, it's not even the part after. It's just that. Man, ding. it gets me. Oh, it gets me. So. <laughs> sometimes physical comedy is good. Yeah, sometimes. Yeah. Uh, imagine if Chris Farley did this Amish role. Would it have been better? Oh, yeah. Yeah? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think so. Another bit of Randy Quaid, because I like Randy Quaid and some other things I've seen him in. Like, obviously, like the the – the vacate the family vacation movies and stuff like that. Um, 
But I don't know. Like, Chris Farley in this role with the physicality that Chris Farley has. I don't know. I think I think it would have been different. He was busy filming Black Sheep. He was contractually obligated to do Black Sheep. So couldn't couldn't do this movie, even though he wanted to. The only stuff I, I love Chris Farley, but really I think the only things I've seen him in other than SNL skits, it might just be Tommy Boy. And Tommy Boy was like a big one in our house. Oh, I Tommy up, so I love so that movie. Um, but yeah, I don't think I ever saw another one. So I don't have a huge basis, but he's just so like beloved, mm-hmm. easy to watch. And I think that would have given it a little more like of that. I would have more warmth in my mm-hmm. heart for I, it. I think they could have maybe sanded it down a bit more. Like in the rewrite process, they could have like given it just a little bit more of a of smooth edge. I mean, like I understand what Seth's saying he likes that it's edgy. I think maybe it's just too jagged. Like it could have been just oh, yeah, a yeah. little bit more precise. The, the, like the prosthetic hand jokes, they hit it so much. Like I was just like a lot. Like I don't, I don't, I I think the only one I laughed at was the uh was the shaving cream bit i thought that was funny where uh he punched it he punched himself in the face with this hook yeah he like cuts his own nose you know because like he got mm-hmm. it's again we, we're seeing him get what he deserves you know what i mean it's like it he pulls a prank yeah, and then someone does yeah. and then he gets it he gets it back out him worse tenfold yeah 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 so like that was rough i do think that the <laughs> the best i mean i do think that his landlord is fucking hysterical <laughs> i think that whole that whole situation freaking lynn shay oh my god she she just goes hard yeah like i don't know if you guys saw the very end of the credits but it's it's like just her and like the kingpin thing behind her and she's like committing to that tongue bit for like a good 45 seconds <laughs> and then she cracks up and it's just like her breaking character like laughing at herself and like that's awesome like i like the, the fact that she can make fun of herself that much and enjoy it like is pretty cool like uh, they didn't want to cast her oh really so so she had done like a very very small part in dumb and dumber uh and they were looking forward to cast this this landlady part and uh, uh, Robert Shea, uh, I think, is related to her in some way. Was like, you should cast Lynn. Uh, and they're like, no, we like, we don't think she. You know, she had only done like a, a small part in Dumb and Dumber. Like, no. So they were looking at, but they like, you know what? We'll give her an audition just to make this producer happy. And so they're getting ready to audition for her, and she and this woman comes into their like office, and they think it's this homeless woman looking for like an ashtray. Or something like that. And it turns out it's Lynn Shay in character and they didn't even recognize her. That's pretty amazing. And they're like, you are amazing. <laughs> <laughs> and so they gave her the part. Yeah, that's so cool. I, yeah, like I I thought that I thought that whole I thought that was great. I thought it was freaking Lynn Shay. And now she's a psychic in the in the insidious universe. Oh. oh. <laughs> and she was in Snakes on a Plane, which is uh Hollywood Gold. <laughs> I have not seen Snakes on the Plane. We'll add it to the list. Oh, that's my we're doing it next week. <laughs> we, we have a guest next week. Don't forget. I know. Okay, okay. She's picking snakes on a plane. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, uh let's real quick, let's start to shift gears in here into our theme gleans. But before we do that, let's talk about just a reminder of the plot, the general premise of this movie for anyone who hasn't seen it in a long time or for someone who has never seen it. 
Uh, so Kingpin is about a disgraced former professional bowler down on his luck who takes an Amish simpleton under his wing in an attempt to profit off his talents. Basically. I mean, there's more in there, but that's you the could, basic you could, you could really get rid of all the Amish stuff. You could get rid of He could be anybody. Yeah. He could just be a normal person. Yeah. He doesn't have, he doesn't well, have to be you Amish. Don't even I don't need, think that plays You don't even it. need him. You don't even need no. the character. Like, Roy, it's about Roy's story, not... Not Ishmael's. Right. So like exactly. So it's like, why do you even have? It's just like for the branding, for the style of the time, you mm-hmm. need it to be a buddy comedy. That's that's you know? yeah. That was definitely the popular, and it's the Fairly Brothers. They yeah. love the the duos. Yeah, they love the duos, the Dumb and Dumber, the the. You know, if you think about it, we're kind of the trio, like in this movie. You know, <laughs> <laughs> who's who. <laughs> Megan's clearly the Amish guy. Obviously. <laughs> I'm definitely Claudia, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> that makes you Roy, Seth. We all knew I was Roy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that was loud. <laughs> I wasn't going to say it. <laughs> uh, but, Seth, since it is your movie that you picked today, we're going to get into what we felt about the movie and the things that it reminded us of. A oh. bird flew into my window. Nice. What? Sure he's okay. What? Get it, Ishmael. Did you save it? He's fine. What kind of bird was it? Uh, there are these, they look like mockingbirds. I can't remember what they're called, but one flew into the window. Oh, those are actually, I can see them here. That's a mockingbird. Um, but one had flown into our window, a different kind of bird, like in January. And he got really, his little wing got hurt. So mm-hmm. we had to like take him to the little rescue place. So I was just making sure that didn't happen. Again. Oh, it's cool. a really big window in our front room. And they just like right. slam into it? Yeah. Aww. I guess mockingbirds are tougher than whatever the the January bird was. Oh, poor thing. So it's okay. No, save the bird, <laughs> please. Uh, Seth, do you want to ask the titular question? Yeah. So my two bowling companions, Kingpin. What's it about? What is it about? Does anyone have anything right on their mind that they want to like bring up? things that they felt anything anything strong <laughs> we really need some sort of good meaning to talk about because clearly <laughs> that's what the tone of your voice is like yeah um <laughs> no i have some i definitely have something that it reminds me of for sure and that it makes me think about i mean i can go first um for me this is about shame and self-sabotage and Forgiving yourself. Um, for me, Roy, look, when you're on top of your game, you feel invincible. You feel like nothing can touch you. And then you make mistakes because you feel like you can. And those mistakes then come back on you. And then after you've fallen so far, I think people start to they start to blame themselves, right? Like they just like, they can't forgive themselves for ruining their, their opportunities. Right. And then that creates a self-sabotaging effect, which then sabotages any way of like potentially redeeming yourself. And it's just this like shame spiral that happens. And I think that's what we, where we see Roy, like Roy obviously still is a talented bowler. Like that's something about the movie that kind of bothered me a little bit is that like Roy had doesn't bowled in like 17 years. And yet, and yet he still can bowl so well, and he doesn't even actually have like a hand to do it. So, like, 
there was no process of him like learning, relearning to bowl, I guess. And like mastering his like new technique and stuff like that, which is like something a more traditional sportsman would probably do is like after Ishmael gets hurt, which would probably happen at the midpoint, Ishmael gets hurt. He can't bowl anymore. Their original plan is, is foiled. And so now if they want to win that money, Roy's going to have to bowl. And so like the second half of the movie up until like the big climax of the, of the bowling tournament would be Roy relearning how to bowl. Um, and this, his his struggle to like get over his shame, get over his his belief that he he he's worthless because he he lost his bowling hand. Like his identity is so wrapped up in him being a professional bowler and like being the best bowler that like you know he has to learn how to be a, a human being outside of that, but uh, and rediscover that love of bowling. I don't know. It's like. It just it rubbed me the wrong way that he was just such a good bowler after like not bowling for seventeen years. He just like picked up and was like awesome again, basically. Like that that bothered me a little bit because that felt like a rushed. It felt rushed as far as his character development goes. Yeah. Um. So for me, like it made me think of those times. I've never been quite as confident as Roy ha- was in his early days. I never felt like I was like that on top of my game, but I will say there are times when I've thought myself to be pretty, pretty good at something. Um, and then have some kind of setback and the, the type of shame spiral that that kind of leads to is, is what I get out of this movie the most. Um, what about, what do you guys think about that? No, I think that's, totally very definitely that and it's a very universal you know everybody or most people i think have like a thing they wrap their identity up in mm-hmm. maybe a certain kinds of people especially when you're younger you're like well i don't know where my value comes from and everyone's telling me it's from here so i guess that'll be my thing um yeah and then when that's why when you question it as you get older i mean sometimes it's not as dramatic an incident sometimes it is but um yeah, it kind of got to find your feet again as a grown-up. Mm. Yeah. What about you, Seth? Uh, I mean, self-worth is like a huge theme in this movie, you know? Mm. Um, and I actually really related to Roy a lot in a lot of ways. Um, uh, because he was like good at something and then he wasn't. And then wallowed in that for a long time before picking it back up again you know but then mm-hmm. i really like that he doesn't win you know mm-hmm. like that he doesn't win? that he doesn't he win doesn't win oh doesn't win okay you know so you're saying you don't like that he doesn't mm-hmm. win. But he does win really but like he doesn't win in the way he wants to right yeah. and it, and i think that's the better lesson because it teaches him to value other things other than his his winning you know mm-hmm. um yeah this movie at its core i think is about where you find your self-worth you know mm-hmm. um and that's and that's i think i think even though this movie is really edgy and that like not not a great movie in terms of uh its comedy stylings 
I do think that the theme in it is really important. I think it's really valuable and it's hard, honestly, to approach, uh, in, in a lot of, like, it's not easy to do, to talk about this in a film. I don't think, uh, it would be really hard to do in a serious movie. I think mm. like this, this film allows, allows you to make jokes and like make poke fun and still address kind of this, this thing in the room, which is like, Hey, how do you feel? How do you find value in yourself when everything around you seems to be going to the crapper, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, I think the, the like self deprecation makes it accessible. Yeah. 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 Um, I totally get that. I mean, so like I again I've never had anything specifically that's like I've been so good at that I felt like I was like the best at. I've maybe that's like a comment on more on like my like self confidence that like I've never been like I'm so good at something. It's like I've I know I have talents in certain areas, but never felt like I was that good. Um but I will say for me, like the area that I think I get maybe the most both maybe where I'm the most confident and I'm maybe the most insecure about at the same time is like my intelligence. I think like for me, that's like a huge part of like my self identity is I think I'm, I'm pretty smart. Um, and like, not in like an arrogant way, but like, I think, I think I, I'm, I'm a pretty intelligent person. Um, and, um, sometimes like I get really insecure if somebody like, like I'll get really angry if somebody thinks they're that they're that they come across like they think they're so much smarter than I am. Like, like I'm like, you think you're a lot smarter than me, but I don't. I'm you're not. Like, especially when somebody that's clearly not smarter than me, and you're like, you're not that smart. <laughs> and like some people who walk around thinking they're smart and they're not smart really bothers me. <laughs> it makes me viscerally upset. Like I I hate I hate like that type of ignorance. And it's like, I think I'm really intelligent. And it's like, you are not, you are not at all. And it bothers me so much. It like feels like a challenge to my own intelligence when someone else thinks that they're smart and they're not. Cause I'm like, is that me? <laughs> Am I that? Right. right. And also it sounds like you're pretty um, grounded about it. Like you're very, you're saying that and then saying like immediately after, like not in an arrogant way, like you don't want to come across that way, even though you know you're smart. So somebody having that unearned confidence is you're like, well, no, I should have that. I'm actually, I said, there is a jealousy in there too, that like, I feel like like I I am, I'm capable of like, I have talents. (laughs) Like I'm, I'm good at stuff, but like, there's not that like same level of like self belief in, in the skill. Right. It's just like, I guess I'm good at it sometimes. (laughs) Well, no, it sounds like you're leaving room to learn things and be wrong. Oh, which I I think those people, uh, well, to learn things. (laughs) I think those people don't leave as much room to if you walk around, you know, with that being your whole identity that you're you're very smart and that you already know everything. You're in a dangerous place. Oh, my family have- would say that I'm a know-it-all for sure. If any of them are out there listening, they're like, "You son of a bitch! You're such a know-it-all." I am sometimes. I have that problem. Seth knows this too. I've been trying over here to like come up with a way to to joke about you can say it. i was gonna be like how are you my friend if you if you don't like people that think they're smart <laughs> you are smart i we were talking so i was talking about this with uh megan last night like we, we actually brought this up it's ironic uh that this was the theme of the movie because we were on the way home 
but Ian, actually, the famed mm-hmm. guest. We love Ian. Uh, we were talking about self-worth and like where you get your self-worth and and where you would like to get your self-worth from, you know? And I, I was saying like, I have a hard time of like distinguishing reality sometimes. Like I will think I am good at something and then turn right around and then completely doubt that I'm good at it. You know what I mean? Like mm. I said something like, it's nice that you guys believe my bullshit because I don't most of the time, <laughs> you know, like, mm-hmm. like an example we, we used was like, am I, like me being a good read of people, right? Mm-hmm. Like I am, I think a good read of people a lot of the times. And then two seconds later, I'll be like, I haven't, I, am I, you know, like, mm-hmm. uh, like actually I don't understand people at all. And I am, I'll, I'll make a stupid comment that I shouldn't have made, you know? So it's like a weird duality when it comes to self-worth, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, yeah, it's so, it's so weird. Cause like, I'll have similar things like that where I, again, I like, I've worked really, really hard to become and keep working hard to become a better writer and a better actor. Right. And sometimes I feel really confident. Like I'll walk into, for for example, I, I went and did an audition um, a few years ago for a movie that has yet to come out, but I did an audition for a movie and I made it through the first and second round of video auditions. And then they wanted an in-person like chemistry reads. Cause it was like a larger group of characters that would all like be like a friend group. So they wanted to get like the chemistry vibe between everybody, all the potential uh, uh, actors. And I got there and we were like doing the reads and stuff like that. And we were doing the scene over and over and over again. And in my head, I'm like, I think I'm a better actor than most of these people. Like it just was a feeling I had. Like it was like I would, and maybe it was again, maybe it was that like a little bit of like confidence, but also maybe a little bit of arrogance coming in a little bit of, of self-righteousness of like, I came in, I was off book for the audition. Like I had them seem memorized so I was able to just be there and just like play and do all the actor stuff that we were trained to do. And so I was, you know, the, the director seemed very, very excited and like seemed like he liked my performance a lot in the audition. And he even like called it out to the other actors. He's like, this guy is the only one that's like listening to anybody, like any other, like listening to the characters and like responding to people. He's like, you're the only one that's doing any acting right now. And so everybody else is just reading the words. Mm-hmm. And like, so like, and then as soon as I walked out of that audition, I had like like this huge like nosedive like crash and like like I felt good while I was doing it, and then immediately as I walked out, I was like that I feel terrible, I feel bad, I feel like I was a shitty. I don't know. I don't. It happens every time I go to an audition. It's like this like post audition like crash, emotional crash. Um, I, I don't know if other actors experience this in the same way, but like when you're in the room, you have to like turn it on and be like, so like personable and positive and, and so just like sensitive. And then when, and you, as soon as you like walk out of that audition room and like you go and sit in your car, like, it's like, well, that moment's over. Um, yeah. cause it, doing the audition is exciting and the potential of the thing that could come with it is really exciting. But then the audition's over, and there's no guarantee that you, anything you did in there matters. 
And like, there's this weird, like, well, that could be the end of that, whatever that opportunity was. It was exciting and it was like a fantasy for a moment. And now like that fantasy might be dead because you may never hear back from those people ever again. And that most of the time, more than 90% of the time that you never hear back. Yeah, that's, I'm sure I'm projecting when I say this, I'm sure there are other things involved, but I think when I have that feeling, I've never been to an audition or anything. Mm -hmm. But for me, it sounds like it might be, I tend to um, uh, disappoint, I, I let myself be, I assume the worst so that I can prepare. Oh. So like when I leave a situation that went really well, I'm like, okay, damage control. What if everyone hates you? Oh, um, no. <laughs> let's just play through that. Uh, and like, or like after, I don't know, the only thing I can think of right now is like after a date where you're like in the moment, like if that went really well, you got in the car and you're like, okay, there's a potential that I'll never hear from this person again. So I better deal with that feeling. Mm-hmm. So I don't have to deal with it later. And that's a long way to fall from a good interaction with other people to that, like, I could have read that entirely wrong. Mm-hmm. That they Or I didn't, and they just, I'll just never hear from them again. There's, a, there's like a bottoming out process. Yeah, there's like a break your own heart before somebody else can process. Yeah. I, I learned how to do that when I was growing up, being, uh, again, I didn't do like acting or art stuff growing up very much. I did some music stuff, but not, it wasn't a big part. Anything. My hometown is a sports town. It's a sports town. Like we have pe- people going to, ma- you know, we have people in the major in major league baseball. Oh, mine's from not, my I'm high school. <laughs> we just had a we just had somebody from my high school get drafted into the NFL. Jeez. Like we are a sports town. We are a sports town. And I played sports growing up, and I wasn't bad at sport. Uh, I was bad at some sports, but I was really good at baseball. I was okay at basketball. Um, I was really good at soccer. Um, like, so I was good at some sports, but like I was a chubby kid and like chubby kids don't necessarily get the same amount of leeway as other kids do. And when it comes to sports, even if they're equally as, as talented or, you know, as far as like a skill level goes, even if they're equally as skilled as anybody else, they can't just cause you are chubby. Maybe your endurance isn't as good, but like, you know, this and that there are reasons why chubby kids don't get to play sports as much. Um, but I was a really good baseball player, and uh, I remember I got I got cut from a team, and I didn't know why because I was definitely you know good enough to play, and like I had to start learning early like about the like heartbreak of that kind of stuff. Like you said, like the rejection of that, because um, because not only was it like the rejection of like the team, so re- people then make fun of you because you didn't make the team. Right, yeah. And like it's like it, it it hurts. It's really bad. And so like you like have to like pre-prepare yourself for the failure cuz yeah. you like you said it's harder to deal with than if you succeed. So like if you prep for the failure and then succeed, it feels like a nice surprise as opposed to like this like crushing loss. Um so like I guess maybe that mentally prepared me for acting. <laughs> Being yeah. able to be like, ah, like this is probably not going to go anywhere, but let's give it our best shot, kind of thing. Um, yeah, it still hurts though. That's the worst part is that you you hurt yourself twice because mm-hmm. you're like, no, I'll prepare myself for this, and then it actually happens. You're like, oh, this still see, I knew confirmation still yeah. hurts. Yeah, it's like a confirmation I wanted to be bias. happily surprised. Yeah. I think yeah, that you you're doing a part of me is doing it at least because like, wouldn't it be fun if I were wrong? Mm-hmm. Um, but you know. 
Seth? At least if you're doubly as sad, you were right about something. Well, and there is kind of this, like, by you're, like, loading the gun for failure. So, mm, like, yeah. that, like, with that mindset, you might be self-sabotaging. Yeah. So. Exactly. So, well, yeah, yeah. Your self-fulfilling prophecy yeah. situation. And that's, like, the, I mean, that's something I've fought with my my whole being. Like, I, I know that I do that, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like, I, I am a failure, so I will fail. You know, like my, mm-hmm. my old therapist used to say that I was afraid of success. You know, it's like, cause I'm so used to failure that I would don't know what failure is comfortable. You know, success is something that I knew. knew, you know? Yeah. Uh, and I, I just wrote this down cause I think I, it's a good sentence for this movie and like what we're talking about, but your fail, your failures make you who you are, but they don't have to define you. Mm. You know, they, they like mold you, but they, they aren't who you are entirely. Like, I mean, if we look at Roy, yeah, his failures made him who he is, but if he had succeeded, he could have just been like, earn, you know, a total asshole, you know? Whereas his failure actually made him a real person, grounded him. And then he's still good at bowling. Maybe he's not as good as he would have been. But like, at least he has relationships, you know, like, and like, and it's his failure that actually made him the money. You know what I mean? Like Mm. his prosthetic hand is like what got him the Trojan. Like he's a good bowler and he has a prosthetic hand. So it's like it actually worked out better that he had the prosthetic hand. So it's like I think I think that's important. And I, I I think I I the biggest like example for this, I mean I have a couple, but the biggest example for this in my life is like my relationship with improv and comedy. You know. Uh I have I, I went into the comedy world a blazing thinking that I would just like make it. And then I did not, I failed hard, self-sabotaged and then shame spiraled for years. And I, you know, and I just now am getting back on my feet with it. Um, and it's an interesting place to be, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. I know like I, it's different expectations and, uh, Something, something real from my life that I've kind of, um, I guess, like seen the metaphor in this past week. Um, this guy in my improv class, he was freaking out because he ran over a, a traffic cone. Like right after class, he ran over a traffic cone and it got stuck under his car. And the dude was flipping his shit like he was like about to have a panic attack. Like, I don't know how to get this traffic cone out. Come help. Will you come help me? You know? So like we all went out and he had gotten the jack out. Like he was about to take the tire off to get this, to get this traffic cone out from underneath his car. And I just reached under Mm -hmm. and like, I looked at the traffic cone and I like reached in and he's like, wait, wait, wait. And I was like, no dude, hold on. And I just pulled it out. Mm -hmm. And, and he was like, how did you do that? And I was like, you were coming at it from the wrong angle, mm. you know, like 
the angle you were pulling the cone from, it was never going to come out that way. But mm -hmm. if you just looked at it from a different angle and pull, it was easy, you know? And I think that's how a lot of things that you want work, right? Like, like you're just looking, your failure, you're failing because you're coming at it from the wrong angle. Like mm -hmm. you're never, you're never going to, if, if, if you can't see the solution, you're always going to be doing it wrong. You know, you're always going to be failing, mm -hmm. but you have to like be willing to go around the car, you know, like, you oh, know, yeah. so it's, I don't know. I think that's a cool metaphor for, for failure, for success and failure. Like, um, so I'm trying to like with my improv stuff, I'm trying to approach it from a different angle this time. It's hard. It's hard to, because mm -hmm. I still want to succeed. Right. But also like you could sometimes can like fall back into certain patterns. Like I have an issue as an actor of, of looking at, because because I think I come from a science background, I sometimes think that there's a right way to do a scene. Like there's a, like you like you're saying that there's a right there's a the right way to do this. Right there's the exact right number of of switches to flip, choices to make. That's the right way to do the scene. Right. That's not what you want to do as an actor. Like that's but like my like brain of like science like is like no, there's a mathematical correct way to do this. Right. Yeah. There's not. Right. There isn't, but it feels like there should be to me because of my dumb, dumb science brain. Um, and so like there is an element of like whenever I do a scene, I have to – or do an audition, I have to remind myself, stop looking for the right answer. Stop when – you when you're reading these lines, when you're reading the scene before you do your audition, stop looking for the correct sequence and the right – the cheat code. Stop looking for the cheat code of the scene to like get you the part, you know, because there isn't one. And you don't, it's not like, and you, there's no way you even know what that cheat code is because your opinion on what that scene should be, it's not, maybe not, is the same as what the people casting it think. Um, but that's really hard for me to, to let go of what I think is like that there's a right answer. That's really hard for me to do. Um, and so I find myself having to really fight against that every time I, I get an audition. I feel like, Seth, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but every time you step into like class or step into a scene, do you feel like, do you ever feel like you're fighting against like old patterns? A hundred percent. Yeah. And like right now, especially because these auditions are coming up, like I'm, I'm, I'm like in a constant battle with myself about it. Like it's like, mm -hmm. it's like saying, don't think about polar bears. Yeah. You know, like you can't not think about polar bears if you say don't think about polar bears. So it's like, I know I shouldn't be in my head about this audition, but I inevitably am because, right. uh, because I know the audition's coming up. So it's like this catch 22 that I can't escape, you know, but like, I think part of, I think part of it is like accepting that that's part of it which allows you mm -hmm. to let some of it go. You know, like I'm going to be in my head about this audition a little bit. Like it's just going to happen. Mm -hmm. But like you have to like succumb to the fact that, okay, well, you are a much better improviser than you used to be. Like you're not, you failed before, 
So like, you'll like, I don't want to, I don't want to fail, but it'll be okay if I do, mm-hmm. you know? And, and not only that, but like, I've approached, I've approached this go around differently, you know, like the stakes are different, you know, like it's, it's more, it's less about me doing the thing because I want to be noticed more about me doing the thing. Cause I love the thing, yeah. you know? So yeah. Imagine you get completely different things out of it that way. Well, it's, but it's hard. Cause like that, that, and that's the pattern that it's hard to, to fall back into. It's like, I, I have put so much effort in to this one thing that it's mm-hmm. like, I would love some sort of recognition for it. You know what I mean? Because like, you, it's really difficult to devote your entire life to something and then not see any fruit. <laughs> like, like, yeah. 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 Sorry. When you said that, my first thought was that I tend to do that in relationships where I'm like, I've put in all this time and all this effort. And when I'm with someone, it's really hard for me to like, be like, it's okay if this fails. Yeah. Well, I think that I heard somebody say this recently about relationships is like, I want a relationship. I don't need a relationship, you know? Yeah. I think the best thing I heard, this isn't really to do with what we're talking about, but it's been really helpful. The The best thing I ever heard was like, is there, or recently, is there any relationship in your life, like speaking as a single person, that you would be like, that is exactly what you want. Like, is there any relationship that you know of, and obviously no one can know the ins and outs of anything unless they're in it, that you would happily trade places with one of those partners to be in that relationship? Is any, you know what I mean? Like, is anyone as happy as you think they are or has like the relationship that you would want to have? And honestly, I don't think there's anyone in my life who's in a relationship who's any happier than I am. Mm. So... Ricky, Ricky yeah. and I are pretty happy with each other. <laughs> hey, you guys are adorable. <laughs> yeah. Hey, sorry to interrupt your favorite podcast, but I'm here to tell you about Shrimp and Crits, an actual play podcast with a southern twist. My name is Ian, and I am the keeper for this show as we play Monster of the Week by Michael Sands. If you like the sound of swampy monster mayhem, gators gone shopping, and magical fairy mischief, you will be right at home in the remote panhandle town of Gullicochica, Florida, where spooky danger has begun to wash ashore. Shrimp and Crits is the story of Sarah Payne the Mundane. All I'm asking for is answers. That's all I'm looking for is the truth. Ari Green the Searcher. You know the proclamations of the fame. I suggest you follow them from now on. And Ray Ray, the most mundane monstrous you will ever meet. Mr. Zeus, I'm a I'm a big fan. I, I knew you were I knew you were real. Um, and Ray Ray's just like bowing in front of this swan. As they fumble their way through protecting their skeptical town from mysterious evils. We release new episodes every other Monday on the podcatcher of your choice. Hope to see you soon soon in sunny Gullicochica. Yeah, it's scary to devote your 
yourself to to a person, to your work, to mm. whatever, with no guarantee that it'll. And I think that's where that cliche of like the journey rather than the destination comes from, because you just kind of have to accept that like it might not go anywhere. Mm-hmm. And it's not a waste of time because it sounds like you've learned a lot and you're a different person now approaching it than you were when you approached it before. Yeah, he has grown a lot. I would say. I mean, he's definitely there's definitely a lot of self reflection between then and now. I was present for a lot of that initial, uh, uh, kind of like fallout. I was present for a lot of that, and it definitely took a toll. And but I've seen a lot of the growth from there. Um, and I know you've grown a lot since then. Well, the knockout so. punch was America's Got Talent. Like that was like yeah the, that. I would say I would say you were already on the ropes. That was me getting my hand that my point. hand chopped off, you know. Yeah. So Yeah. That's another thing that was interesting to me in this movie. His relationship with his dad was interesting. Uh Roy, where his dad like teaches him how to be this great bowler and then like says to him, like, this is gonna give you all the skills that you need to be successful as an adult. <laughs> i think i think it's funny is like i grew up in a very sports oriented town i think that's what people think i love like that like sports are yeah. like that sports give young men the abilities to be good adults it's like they don't <laughs> they don't at all if honestly if anything a lot of sports really mess kids up in a lot of ways like again i grew up playing a lot of sports and i can tell you like I loved playing sports and like there were a lot of wonderful things about playing sports. I have a lot of great friends from playing sports, but I will say like sports culture is toxic sometimes. Definitely. Like being on, being on a sports team is like super aggro and it's very – It's toxically masculine usually. Well, like – so for example, like I'm super competitive. Seth knows this. I'm extremely competitive. I love to, to – to, play games i love to compete and i really love to win my family my family set has this it's kind of a joke but it's also kind of true like like (laughs) my family is all about like if you're not playing to win then you're like you don't you're not playing right like what's the point um and so we try and win everything even if it's just like a friendly game of cards like we are trying to win as hard as we can I just don't know any other way of playing. However, I will say whenever I played sports growing up, of course I'm wanting to win as much as anybody on the team, but, but like whenever we would lose, people would take it so hard. People would people like my friends would be so pissed off after a loss. Like they'd be on the bus and they'd be like, you know, like punching shit and like just like sulking and like not wanting to talk to anybody. Like they'd be just like so angry. And I would be like, cool. Like, again, I want to win. I'd be disappointed. Don't get me wrong. But like, there was just like this, like a part of them that was so wrapped up in like being a winner that like anytime we lost, it was just like a nightmare to like talk to anybody after a game where we lost. People were just so upset. I'm like, you guys like got to like relax. Relax. <laughs> you guys gotta chill. It's and maybe it's because at that point, like I'm thinking more about high school than anything else. Like it wasn't as bad when we were younger. But like high school, for some reason, high school sports, people put so much on high school sports. Like like even the community puts a lot on these high schoolers yeah. to win. And it's kind of sh- shitty. I don't know how I feel about that. 
like when I like I said, when I look back at my hometown, they they like the whole town is like always talking about the high school sports. So and funny because they're sorry, those are children. Yeah, <laughs> they're putting so much of the ta- town pressure on these children. Yeah, I just the only real um, intimate knowledge I have of any sport is. Um, Friday Night Lights seasons one and two. Well, then I you, gotta tell then you ya, get it. <laughs> I learned everything that I need for life in Friday Night Lights season one and two. There you go. So that's fair. Know. Maybe sports does teach us all everything we need I to be. I think movies about health. sports teach us a lot about. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I don't know. It's just interesting to me that, like, this idea that like being good or being like awesome at this one thing is going to give you the skills that translate to being good at just being a human being. And that it, it's interesting that, that, that Roy's dad is just like, so like, cause like how old was he when we, they, we started the movie. He had to be like eight or nine. And then it was like eight years later. So he was maybe like 18 or 19 in like the like first part. He goes to like win the Iowa State championship and things like that. So he had to be a young guy. He had to be a pretty young guy. And it's like, I've taught you how to be an amazing bowler. Now go be an adult <laughs> on your own, traveling throughout the country by yourself. You have all the skills. I, I love we. <laughs> so I have, I have a couple thoughts. The, the stupid thought is, I think it's really funny that his dad was a milkman. And we never see his mom. Uh, that's just <laughs> you have a theory about milkmen. Oh yeah, I do. I want to make a short film about milkmen. I remember. Um, uh, and then, uh, in regards to actually what you're saying and sports and things and and uh, tying it into kind of what we were talking about last night, Megan, like self worth. Like we all think in our society sports culture is a lot like this. It's like, Oh, if you're good enough, something good enough at one thing, you'll have value. And everybody in our society says, and everybody's really good at one thing. So you have to figure out what that is. Find Find the thing thing that makes you, you and be that thing. And it's like, no, that's not true. It's a trap. trap. It is a trap. And, and like, I'm, I'm on a journey to find the things that make me not, that make me not aware of myself. Like that's like, that is what I'm trying to say. What I was trying to say last night is like, I don't, it's not, it's like that your self-worth should just like live in you. You shouldn't even be thinking about it, you know, mm-hmm. like. Yeah. You have worth because you exist. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. You don't need a thing to make yourself self. You are self. But it does help to have things to hold on to, you know, when you're feeling really lost. I think there's, it's really, that trap is so easy to fall into because life is. And society isn't set up for you to actually be who you are. (laughs) Like it, it, it has its own definitions as to what you are supposed to be and like, society wants you to to conform to a to a set of basic you know outlines yeah yeah makes it easier for you to categorize and and deal with um that seth what you said kind of reminds me so last week we were talking about practical magic and i i kind of talked a little bit about like my feelings about like relationships and things like that and social interactions and i i mentioned that like 
I think a lot about the things that I can offer to a relationship, the things that I bring to a relationship. And after I had said that, I've been really reflecting on on that that thought about myself. And I realized something in that I rarely think about what people could give me. Like in a relationship, I always I'm always like in any crush or any any kind of like relationship I've had, it's I focus so much on what I provide to the other person. And think very little about them giving any part of themselves to me in that way, you know, in that like equal exchange of like, we're supposed to be a, a unit. You're supposed to be, you're supposed to like compliment each other, right? You're supposed to compliment each other. And like what you give is should also be what you get. Right. And like, and I realized like, it's like, I, I rarely think about what that person is, is giving. It's always what I'm, what I'm providing. And I was thinking, like, why don't I ever think about that? Why don't I ever think about what I should be receiving? But that that's completely tied to your like, and this is where you and mm-hmm. I connect. Is like, I think you and I have inherent low self worth a lot of the times, mm-hmm. and so like, therefore, we think that we that it is up to us to provide all of mm-hmm. the service in the relationship because if not. Like we, we, we of course see the value in the other person. They mm-hmm. like me. That's all the value they need. <laughs> mm-hmm. like, oh. That's. Go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, no, I think you're totally right. I think that that is a um, issue in a lot of heterosexual relationships or just like men and women who are friends, I think, or no, in romantic relationships, especially. Um, and this in my last relationship, I think the more I think about how we interacted, I never felt. He was a little younger than me. Um, I don't know if that has anything to do with it, but I didn't really feel entirely seen. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a lot wrong. Um, I mean, it was a good relationship, but it like fundamentally it was not right. Um, and I think part of it was because he, like so many other men, have that idea of like, what can I bring? Because society tells you you have to bring mm-hmm. something. You know, the man in a heterosexual relationship has to be like a provider of something. And that's not necessarily, um, you know, as thank God we become more equal. It isn't as simple as like, well, I will bring the money or the food or the whatever. Um, And so we're trying to figure out new ways of bringing value. And that became very, it was like once he, and this is entirely me projecting and it's, it's been a long time, so I could be wrong, but it did feel like as long as he felt like he, he was providing something like he could bring that value and he was fine. My, he didn't concentrate as much on what I could bring. And in turn, I didn't concentrate on much as much as on what I could bring. And I didn't feel as seen. I feel like it's a really toxic way to go about relationships because, Mm -hmm. and a really like easy to fall into one. Um, because ultimately, you have to recognize that the other person is bringing something to you mm. both ways. Um, and it, it seems like you're doing a nice thing by being like, no, 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 I will bring this. You don't have to do anything. Mm. But it's really frustrating and you feel unseen and unheard. And it's just not fun ultimately for mm. either person. And and Megan, something that you said to me a few, handful of weeks ago, maybe even months ago at this point – and that that I am trying to remind myself of every time I have these types of thoughts is 
give that other person just as much agency as you. As far as like yeah. that person also wants to provide something to their relationships, right? They they want to feel like they also are providing value to the relationship. That's why you're in a relationship. And yeah. to, to like think not like allow them to provide anything, even if it's like like even like because I don't make a whole lot of money, you know. <laughs> so like I would not be. That's not what I would be providing to the relationship. So like. For me, it's like okay, then like I'm I'm, pro- I'm providing emotional support and act and like good listening and the just ability to withstand anything that you might ask of me. Right. Yeah, and ultimately that becomes like I keep saying, you feel as the other partner not really seen and not really mm. heard, partly because. It creates a dynamic even, you know, subconsciously where you, I feel like this could be wrong, but it felt like he wanted to feel needed Mm. or maybe I started to feel like I needed him, but because it felt like he wasn't seeing what I was bringing or at least not valuing it on the same level, not Mm. because of any fault of his own, it's how our society is built. I started to feel like I needed him. He did not need me. Mm. And that became like a really big, you know, as much of it was my own projection and and my own stuff, it did become a very real obstacle Mm. in how we understood each other. Um, And again, I don't think it has that much to do with anything he did. Mm. I think it's just how we view relationship dynamics and men and women. Um, but I learned that that was a very, it's a very frustrating feeling. I felt so, I don't know, helpless, I guess, sometimes. Yeah. I, to to relate to you, you, Megan, I think I self-sabotage the most when it comes to romantic relationships, like, or even just like the pursuit of romantic relationships. We, I mean, it's a, it's a well-documented thing on this podcast at this point, but it's definitely like, I'm already cutting the legs out from any type of romantic opportunity before it even gets like off the ground. Right. Um, And, and it is because of, well, not because of, but I mean, it it has reared its head in my previous two relationships in that way where specifically in the last one, which I talked about recently, um, like there was a thing where I was afraid if I was not the perfect partner that this person would leave because, because right. I, because that was such a part of me thinks that I'm not good enough for anybody that like the only way I am good enough for somebody is if I am the perfect partner for that person. And as soon as I'm not that they are going to leave. And like, weirdly enough, not to put anything on this other person, cause that's not necessarily fair. There was a lot of my own issues too it felt like that was confirmed the moment I made a mistake. The first time I like made a mistake and you know, it was a mistake and I admit that it was a mistake. I handled it wrong. It came out of a fear of making a mistake. The mistake came because I was afraid of making a mistake. Mm -hmm. Yeah. No. So, so so much sense. And then, but then that blew up the relationship. It like happened like the first time it like had happened genuinely. And like, it was such a, like, it's like we were saying, it was such a confirmation bias of like, see, the minute you made a mistake, it's over. I'm right. <laughs> yeah, I was right. It, and I felt like that for a long I time. I was like, yeah. I was I was right the whole time. I knew it. I even said that to her. I was like, I thought as, as soon as I like upset you, it would be over. And it, and it, 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 and it is. 
And like, yeah. and I'm like, you, you're like confirming my fear right now. And like, well, and like again, I don't want to put that on that person because that's not, not necessarily fair. They have their own things going on. But like, it just been a bad it, fit. It too, was, yeah, it could, well, yeah. Oh, there could have been, lo- there were lots of reasons why it wouldn't it, and didn't work. But like, it, but it sent me down and still to this point is a fact, does affect my pursuit of my next re- relationship, my next, well, dating, date, I think, you know, it, something to be aware of in that is maybe you're picking people that you know will as soon as you upset them like be wrathful you know Mm -hmm. because like that's what you're trying like in your head or subconsciously you feel like you have to adhere to this role of this perfect thing which is actually like it's like the it's like what it's like what's sabotaging you is is this need to be this perfect thing and so you're picking people that have this expectation of this perfect thing to to give yourself the shot to be that thing but you're never going to be that thing so so it's like this Mm -hmm. it's like you're choosing people with that expectation because it's fulfilling your own expectation yeah and we all do that in a way we all have those patterns that's you know Mm -hmm. the thing that we're all trying to break by existing is getting better and growing but yeah, we all are attracted to a certain thing because of the comfort of it. Because like, if we change that, then we have to deal with a whole new thing. It's like, okay, if that's not, if the thing that I've told myself over and over and that I have seen happen over and over isn't the truth, then like what is, and that's a lot of work to figure out what that healthier and mm-hmm. more fulfilling path looks like. It's, it's intimidating. And it's either like, keep repeating those patterns, don't date or don't like interact with other people or do the really hard work mm. and trust that the other person wants to do it too. And that's terrifying. Mm. Every aspect of that is terrifying. Yeah, it really, really is. That sounds is. awful, right? <laughs> it does. I, I totally, sounds great in the long term. But I oof. totally agree with you. Like, again, like I, you're right. Like this, it's so scary. It, and it, it doesn't, it, like you said, Seth, like you failed before. You're going to live. Mm. It'll be fine. Yeah. Like if that person's, you know, it's like, no, like, I'm not, I don't feel that way or I'm not into that. That's fine. Like, it, it really is okay. Like, it, and like, logically, like I said, my logic part of my brain is like, it's good. It'll be fine, bro. <laughs> like, if that person says that they they don't want a romantic relationship with you, that's fine. Like, you'll be okay. It's happened how many times in your life? You're going to be all right. And yet, and yet there's like the, like the lizard brain is like, no, you will die. <laughs> yeah it feels like self-preservation yeah you will die <laughs> yeah there's um a poem that i really like i can't remember the name of it right now but it's an end of st vincent malay poem it's also this is also a theme ricky what you're talking about of being perfect mm. uh, a theme in one of my favorite movies the philadelphia story of like the idea of being a perfect person or partner is so it's so enticing and it's like being like this, like ideal for someone is so enticing, but it robs you of so many experiences of being really known of really living. Like you will be so like, ideally in a relationship, you would be allowed to screw up and the other person would be able to help you navigate that. Like that's the point of Mm. being a person. So the only, th- I think the only way to be in a relationship is to let yourself be a fuck up sometimes. Mm-hmm. I mean, not on a grand scale, like don't right. 
obviously. <laughs> we don't endorse infidelity here. But yeah, but if you're like this perfect, if you're a perfect person, the other person's going to feel really lonely mm-hmm. and they won't have anything to grab onto. There, There's no texture there to like, mm-hmm. you know, grip to. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. I'm in. I'm still in my Roy, my Roy Munson stage. I haven't, I haven't become the rubber man yet. Hey, but 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 you, <laughs> but you found your Ishmael and and Claudia. And Claudia. Now Whatever who's Claudia? Now was. who's Claudia? And who's Ishmael? I'm clearly Claudia. Yeah. So. <laughs> I want to say one of the things that I kept thinking. I think I've said it here before. I did not expect this movie to lead to this conversation. You never um, do. No. Um, I think I've said this quote before. It's a Cheryl Strayed quote, and I guess it does. It's applicable to this movie, but it's one of my favorites. And at one point in, I forget which book, she says something like, um, don't sacrifice all your happiness for an idea of yourself that isn't true anymore. And I think mm. about that all the time. And that's just like, I think that is a lot to do with this movie. Like you just have to be present where you are mm. and be accountable for yourself now and forgive yourself and give yourself hope and compassion. And then you can make the right choices for who you are now. Mm-hmm. That's very hard though, especially when you really liked the person you were before yeah, or the thing you had before, the feeling you had before. Yeah. Well, yeah. You know what the Bible says about not forgiving? And, and yeah. That, uh, yeah. You know what the Bible says about not forgiving? It's against it. It's against it. <laughs> oh, that's like, I get it. I'm going to, Chloe is here to get her car. I'll okay. be right back. Okay. <laughs> I'm glad you picked up on it. So. <laughs> it's against it. <laughs> uh, I guess we'll... That's my fun, That's my favorite line in the whole movie. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know what the Bible says about not forgiving. <laughs> it's against it. What does it say? <laughs> it's against it. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I really did laugh out loud a lot in this movie. Yeah. I did. I did laugh out loud. Like, it's just so stupid, you know? It is very like, stupid. It's so stupid. Like, I will say the the horseshoe part I thought was really <laughs> funny, where the horse is ginormous. Yeah. And they ask him, they ask him to de-shoe the horse, and he takes off its like entire. <laughs> it's so dumb, <laughs> and it makes it so much shorter. Yeah. yeah. Like, oh I didn't think God, the horseshoe part was good. Like, I didn't. I, I was like disturbed a little bit by it. Um, well, it's yeah, horrifying. Yeah, it's but then when you see Buttercup again and Buttercup's fine, but just like way short, <laughs> I thought that was funny. I was thinking this is like, is a Randy Quaid, did they, you think they like put him on like boxes at any point to make him like look taller? Yeah, he's tall. Certain... He was in shape too. I know he is tall. He was like fit in this movie. Yeah, I know he's tall, but like there were some moments where they, like, I think they, they may have put him up on boxes to just make him look like more like freaking awkward like gangly yeah. like you know what i mean like lumbering looking yeah. i thought he was uh, i don't know i thought also when he was in like the stripper drag oh that was like funny his face just like his face as he's talking in the back of the car just like there's something about it that just was hysterical like mm-hmm. like little stuff like that like i can't believe they get didn't get pulled over like the things they were doing in the car i know just like oh my god yeah like standing up and dancing while yeah, the car's moving yeah. crazy yeah, like crazy like there i i do see why this movie is a classic you know like mm-hmm. it's just like so ridiculous mm-hmm. you know but like you also understand roy you know like oh like, yeah like he's a sad sap 
you know, like, Oh my God. Yeah. He's a sad sap that needs to get over his failures and, and move on. Uh, I also thought it was really funny. Like, like as, as it, it, it was like, yeah, sometimes they would make jokes that were like, uh, that joke, but then they would take it and spin it in a way that I would be like, man, like I, I gotta give them credit. Like, like the, the, when when she grabs the beer and you see her nipple from the refrigerator, in the refrigerator yeah. and like you're like oh okay yeah like yeah we can see her nipples like whatever and then randy quaid's character goes and grabs the beer and then his nipples are like like that's funny like i think that's funny like i didn't expect they're they're good at the bait and switch they're good at the like mm. unexpected humor. and he says oh i feel a little nippy yeah yeah uh I think they're they're good at giving like an extra beat to like just make the joke a little bit different yeah. than what you usually see. Like the, the easiest version of the joke is just the first part yeah. of the joke, and then they they put like just a little extra yeah. small button on it, which like makes it just a little bit more unique. Yeah, like you said, like the horseshoe, like like the the bull milking the bull joke is so overplayed. Like that's yeah. that I knew that joke was coming right away. You know yeah. what I mean? And then, and then. The horseshoe one is, I think, also like one where I was like, "Oh yeah, he's gonna he's gonna maim this horse, ha ha ha." And then you're right, like they put a little button on it later. It's like, "Oh yeah, the horse is fine. It's just short now." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and it makes it just a little, like a little bit more unique as far as a, a joke goes. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Uh, I mean, yeah, the heart of this story is is Roy, and the fact that like, and you know what's interesting about Roy? So he's like, you know, he's this amazing bowler and then he he gets like roped into this like con this grift with with big big urn and and loses his hand in the process and then he becomes like a a a serial con man yeah like he becomes just a grifter and he's not good at it he's really bad at it he's a bad grifter um so it's like Dude, like you, you, you lost everything because you tried to do something you weren't good at, which is grifting. You know, and then you became, and then thing. it became a grifter, and it explains why you're so bad at what you're doing right now, and why your life's in such a bad position because you're doing something you're terrible at, and also something that's not like really you. Yeah, like that's not who he is. Like he, like it would seem like a pretty nice kid. You know what I mean? Yeah. Maybe a little arrogant. A little arrogant for sure, but I mean, I, like we were saying, that's like small town, big deal, big fish, small pond syndrome. Yeah, you know, I definitely know that. Um, and you know, but overall, like a nice, nice guy, a good guy, at least you you think. Um, and then and then yeah, then he gets wrapped in this thing that's not like his his jam. And then that becomes his life. It's weird. Yeah. Well, but it explains why it's his life so shitty it, though. It's, he's reliving his failures. He's like mm-hmm. stuck in this loop of reliving his failures because he, he doesn't want to fail, you know? So mm-hmm. like, he's just doing it over and over again, hoping he'll succeed, which is mm-hmm. never where, how he was meant to succeed in the first place. Right. You know what? I still think this movie would have been better if either A, they would have gone full full into like him being a mentor character or they would have gone to, like you said, like you were saying, Seth, get rid of that mentor part and just have him be on his own journey to like rediscover 
well, his thing. And, and that's the thing. It's like, I think in the style of the time, there needed to be some wacky element. They, they, mm. they had to have some sort of like crazy curveball. It's like, it's like, it's like a regular movie with a curveball, you know? Mm. And, and that's just like what they liked to do back then, you know? Um, it's like outra- outrageous comedy. This is an outrageous comedy, mm. and outrageous comedy was the style, mm. you know, uh, because because that hadn't been done in movies yet, mm. you know. Well, it had Hello. like Animal House, yeah. Porky, like it, it had, but like that was like you know this is ninety six and that style, those like late seventies and eighties movies that had this like kind of like gross yeah, out yeah, yeah. crude general humor were fading in popularity yeah. at that time. Um, I mean, American pie like re-resurrected them in a lot of ways. Um, I think hangover was the period on the end of that sentence. The, yeah, exactly. Hangover was like the end of that era. Mm-hmm. And like, we don't make those comedies as much anymore. And if you do, they're more along the lines of like independent, smaller independent comedies. Um, I can't think, I mean, there are, they still do make these kind of like gross out comedies, not in this tone. Like they're a little bit more grounded gross out, like super bad. Like Superbad, slightly more grounded, but is still like crude and is still that was before Hangover. Wild, I think. Um, and and Superbad does not age well. It does. It's no, it doesn't. It's rough. Um, but I'm trying to think of like, yeah, I guess Hangover is maybe a little bit zanier than Superbad is slightly, but I get what you're saying. Um, I don't know. Like, yeah, like I, I'm trying to think of like smaller movies. Like these aren't the, the broad comedies anymore. That's for sure. They don't make these type of broad comedies like this anymore. Yeah. Um, it's definitely on the smaller scale. I'm think I'm trying to think of like the last movie I saw that was like a gross out comedy kind of like this. That was like a more independent film. I can't remember off the top of my head. The things I see more nowadays are like these dark comedies. Like, uh, <laughs> oh, Sorry. it's fine. The things I think of, like, have you guys seen Bodies, Bodies, Bodies? Oh, I liked Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. That was kind of a crude, dark comedy. Yeah, I... It was a thriller, yeah, no, but it was definitely so. a dark comedy, and it was kind I of liked, gross. Yeah, I liked that movie up until the end, because I called that ending halfway through. Yeah. And I was like, oh, boring. Yeah, I agree. The ending didn't the quite get me. the movie itself was fun. The movie yeah. was fun. Did you see Bodies, 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 Seth? No, I did not. I did not. It's fun. It's fun. It's fun. It's like it's a oh book smart. Book smart's like one of these last like oh, I love book smart. Yeah, but it's like it's, um it's an evolution yeah. of it. It is an evolution. Like that's what that's yeah. the one I was it's like it is an evolution. It's on a yeah. smaller scale, but mm-hmm. it is still like this like teen comedy. It's kind of very like sexually based. Yeah. And it's a so, little absurd. Yeah. It is a little like the the doll scene and stuff like yeah. that. It is pretty absurd. I love that movie. Um the throwing up on the girl in the bathroom during yeah. sex. Yeah. Like stuff like that. It's kind of gross. So I would say there you go. Booksmart's probably the last one where I was like, yeah, this is like a reminiscent it, of it that. It felt like a super that. bad remake. Booksmart. It did. But on a, slight, a slightly more mature and politically I would say, aware. <laughs> I, I, I would just say it had a, a, a more deft hand. Yeah. That's yeah. All. I agree. It was it was more, it was just maybe just like sur- more surgical than than 
katana. Yeah. It's more scalpel yeah. than katana. Yeah. <laughs> it's like dink is doing little little incisions instead of broad strokes. Well, um I think even though Kingpin was in a strike with this podcast, we were able to pick up the spare. I so. would agree. Are you doing my tags for me? You're fired. Get out of here. <laughs> I'm just kidding. That's I agree. I think it's a great place to end uh, our day today as we are hitting our you know hour and a half time here. Um, so uh, thank you all for talking about Kingpin with us. Uh, even though we may have not been wild about the movie, I think it generated an interesting conversation and maybe got us to some places that we didn't necessarily assume that we would go with this movie and that's what's i think that's what i like about this podcast for myself the most is like i've stopped i've stopped writing out notes for this podcast as far as like what i want to talk about and things like that and, and being being very much more let the conversation go where it wants to go um and i think i've i've enjoyed doing the podcast more in that way instead of being so hands-on with it so so yeah i like that it goes to places where i don't expect it to go so I hope you guys out there like it too, our listeners that are listening out there. Thank you for listening. It's time to talk about what's next. Seth has a surprise for us. Seth. Yeah. We actually have a guest coming next week. It's my good friend. She's a comedian. She's an improviser. Uh, she's super cool. Uh, and her name is Miriam Kirk. Uh, Miriam and Kirk. she has chosen Sister Act 2. Oh, oh, happy day. <laughs> I haven't seen either of the sister acts in maybe 20 plus years. Oh, you're missing so out. So I, I might have to watch the first one again, too, to like know what's going on. Um, I'm trying to remember. Like the plots aren't super intertwined. You don't necessarily have to. I'll say okay. that. All right. But if you want to, I would encourage it because I sister act is one of the movies I would watch with my sister funny enough uh with my sister and my mom a lot that was like one of our vhs's in the house that we would all watch together kind of thing love sister act sister act 2 is very enjoyable as well um it'll be it'll be fun to talk about it it's because it's gonna be different so uh we'll be watching sister act 2 with each other next week um so if you want to watch sister act along with us you can find sister act on disney plus with a subscription or you can rent it on YouTube, Google Play Movies and TV, Redbox, Vudu, Amazon Prime, or you can buy it on Apple TV. So if you're watching Sister Act with us, Sister Act 2 from 1993. Wow, we we're really hitting the 90s movies lately. Really hitting those 90s. But that's fine. Uh, that's where you can watch it along with us. So uh, Seth and Megan, thank you so much for talking about Kingpin with me. And we will have Miriam on next week. So everybody look forward to that. Uh, why don't we go ahead and shout ourselves out? Seth, you can go first. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at the Birdie Word. That's T H E B I R D Y W O R D. Or you can find me on Instagram at Seth Adam Crow. That's S E T H A D A M C R O W E. Or you can find me on my website at SethCrow.com. And that's always Crow with an E. All right. Thank you so much, Megan. It's your turn. You can find me on Instagram at Megan underscore Jane 61. It's M-E-A-G-H-A-N. Some of my writing is linked there at Sometimes Songs. 
Awesome. Thank you so much. And I'm Ricardo Blade Diaz. You can find me at Ricardo Blade Diaz on Instagram and TikTok. And you can find this show, the What's It About Film podcast, on What's It About Podcast and Instagram and What's It About Pod on TikTok. And you can get new episodes of the show every Friday morning wherever you find podcasts available Spotify, Apple Music. Uh, Amazon Music, you can find us any of those places. So please listen, let us know what you think, get involved with the conversation, tell us what movies you would like us to see in the future. Uh, thank you both so much for being here today. I'm going to let you both go get some rest because uh, you had a long weekend. Uh, thank you, everybody. We'll talk to you next time. Bye. Adios.